We're not here last week. We started the series, What Makes You Happy? And uh, you can catch up if you want to, or if you want to share this with friends, you can just go to this website, watchhappyseries.com. You'll be able to find all the messages on video, and this is really important. Uh, we do this for a reason. You'll be able to find discussion questions. You'll be able to find discussion questions. At the end today, I'm going to give you a couple of questions to think about. And you don't even have to write them down because you can find them right here, okay? So if you just go right there, if you're not part of a small group, you can download those discussion questions. You can um, sit down with some family or friends or just with yourself and start thinking about them and working through them. Uh, the other thing I want to tell you before we get started is if you're not a Christian or you know, you're not a church person, wherever you fall in all that, um, we're so glad you're here. We created this place so you um, would have a place to come and explore your questions and doubts and, um, and feel comfortable. So hopefully that's true for you today. But one of the things I wanted you to know, just so you know what my agenda is up front, when I get to the end today, I'm going to talk for just a minute to those of you who, uh, for whatever reason, you've got your reasons, they're good reasons for you, but for whatever reason, you haven't yet decided, you know what, I'm ready to go in and begin following Jesus. Uh, you know, whether it's, you don't believe, you got doubts, you had bad experiences, well, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do a couple of things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you to take a step in that direction to at least explore it a little bit. And then for some of you, you're at a point where you're ready to make that decision. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And I just wanted to tell you up front, there won't be any pressure, but I didn't want to uh, ambush you at the end. So, so you'll get that opportunity at the end when we pray together if, if you want to do that. Um, but before we do, let's start where we started last week with the question that's at the core of this entire series. What makes you happy? What makes you happy? The reality is, uh, most of us, I would say, and I'm not trying to be offensive, I I'm right there with you, most of us don't know what makes us happy. We don't. Some of us knew and we forgot. Some of us have just allowed the voices that are around us, and there's so many voices in our culture today, but we've let other voices define for us what makes us happy. We don't even realize we're doing it. It could be media, marketing, movies, music. It could be friends. It could be, you know, workplace. It could be whatever. We just live in a culture where there seem to be hundreds of voices, and those voices will define for us what makes us happy. We don't even realize we're letting them define it for us. We just kind of adopt what everybody else thinks and what everybody else does about this. But a lot of us, a lot of us, we just don't really know the answer to this question. Or we think we know, but we are chasing the wrong answer. So last week, we started by answering this question. If you were here last week, I'm going to see how much you remember, and I don't expect it to be much. But if you, if you remember, this is great. You can say it out loud. There was, a, there was a simple answer that we talked about at the end last week to what makes you happy. Anybody remember what it is? Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. No thing, no thing. Yeah, blame the preacher. It's not your fault. I, I, blame the preacher. No thing. Everybody say that together. One, two, three. No, no thing. No thing will make you happy. And the reason no thing makes you happy, and you know this, even though we all chase things, the reason no thing makes you happy is because things leak happiness, don't they? Happy what's, oh, if I just had that what, if I just had that thing, I'd be happy. Happy what's eventually leads you inevitably to a happy what else. Oh, now I need this, and now I need this, and now I need this, and now I need this. Because happy things or happy what's always have a shelf life. They have an expiration date. They do not keep us happy forever, which is why we said, if an aging what or an aging thing diminishes your happiness, the reality is you were never happy to begin with. If an aging thing or an aging what over time diminishes your happiness and you were never really happy to begin with. You were just excited when you got that thing or that what. And there's nothing wrong with excitement. You ought to have a lot of excitement in life. But 
excitement and happiness are two very different things. Excitement and happiness are two very different things, aren't they? Excitement comes and goes. Excitement comes and goes. Happiness does not have to come and go. And so where we landed last week was around this simple idea that happy, happiness is more about who than what. Happiness is more about who than what. Specifically, the happiest people that you know, and if you start maybe this week, if you were here last week, you start paying attention to this, you'll see it everywhere now. The happiest people you know are people who have figured out how to focus on three specific groups or three specific types of who's, three specific types of who's. And I bet if you start thinking about the happiest seasons of your life, isn't it true that the times in life where you were happiness, it involved a who or two? It involved a who or two, said Dr. Seuss. That's what that sounded like, didn't it? It involved a who or two, though, didn't it? Because it, it wasn't so much about the things. It was about the people. And so last week, we unpacked this idea, first of all, that happy people are at peace with themselves. Isn't this always true? The people you know who are happy are always confident. They're always self-assured. They're always comfortable in their own skin. Comfortable in their own skin. Like they're confident, but they're not arrogant. They're confident, but they're not proud. They're comfortable, they're not insecure. Happy people are always comfortable in their own skin. They're always at peace with themselves. If you're not at peace with yourself, you're never going to be happy. Secondly, happy people are at peace with others. Obviously, that's true. You've never met somebody and said, you know what, that's one of the most argumentative people I've ever met, but they're so happy doing it. Like, you know, that's not the way it works, is it? You meet argumentative people, you meet fighters, you meet people who are always in a disagreement or a conflict with somebody. You, you know the person, you got one in your family, right? And every time they call you up, there's another feud going on with somebody. Don't elbow them if you're sitting next to them. But we've all got people like that, and they're not, you don't look at them and go, oh, that, I want more of what they've got. Like, they're so happy. No, because happy people are always at peace with others. And then this third one, you know, you may agree or disagree, depending on whether or not you're, or not you're a Christian, but... I would suggest this, that happy people are also at peace with God. At least I would say the happiest people. Because you can be happy and not follow Jesus, but I would say the happiest people are the ones who are at peace with God. And all I mean by that is this, that there is no tension between them and God. They can lay their head on their pillow at night, and they know, they feel like everything's good between them and God. They believe that they were created by their creator with meaning and with purpose and with significance and that life is bigger than just, you know, their own little world and what's going on. It's just about me and let me try to suck as much happiness out of life as I can. The happiest people believe there's a bigger purpose to life and you serve others and you give your life away and that's where you find happiness. It's just a totally different thing. And so last week we ended with this simple idea that peace with God, and this is why this is so important, peace with God enables us to be at peace with ourselves and equips us to make peace with others. Now, next week, don't miss next week, because we're going to talk about how peace with God helps us make peace with others. And the reason I say you don't, shouldn't miss it is because all of us either currently are in a situation where we need to figure out how to make peace with someone, or we will soon be in a situation where we have to deal with this. This is just part of life. And there is a huge piece of this that sometimes we miss, but there is something incredible that God teaches us that when we, when we have peace with him, it makes making peace with others so much easier. That'll be next week. Today, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this first part. Why peace with God is so important and how peace with God enables us to be at peace with ourselves. Now, here's what I'm implying when I say this, and I understand it. I am implying 
that we are at intention with God. I'm, I'm implying that there is friction between us and God. I'm implying that we're in conflict with God when I say this. That if, you know, we got to be at peace with God to be happy, it means it's very easy for us not to be at peace with God. And the implication is that we may not be, or most of us are not at peace with God in some way. And so I want to unpack why this is so important for just a minute. The Apostle Paul, if you're familiar at all with the New Testament or you've been around church, you've heard about Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote so many historical documents. They were letters he wrote to different people or to different groups. He wrote so many of these historical documents that ended up in our New Testament. And when you begin to read them, here's what you discover. That over and over again, Paul talked about this concept. And Paul addressed the fact that there was a tension, that there was a conflict between all of us and God. He addressed this in pretty much every single letter that he wrote. It was one of the core foundational issues that he wanted to talk about and explain to people as he wrote these letters. And when you look at all of Paul's letters, you see a couple common themes. Paul narrowed down the reasons that we're all at conflict with God to two simple things. Here they are. He said conflict with God was caused by, number one, sin. Number one, sin. Now, this is a macro idea of sin, okay? Another way to put it is, is a sin nature, that we're in conflict with God because of the sin nature, and we'll talk about that. I'll explain that in a minute. And then number two, he says we're in conflict with God because of your sins, my sins. This gets very personal, but your sins and my sins. So I want to take a minute this morning, and I want to explain both of these concepts or both of these ideas to you, and then why it matters so much to your happiness and to mine. Because these things, these things have a tendency to undermine our happiness. Because as we talked about last week, any sin, any sin separates. And you know this, sin separates you from others. Sin separates you from God. Sin separates you from you. If you're not a Christian and you don't want to use the definition of sin we use, it's fine. You can just think of sin as anytime you don't live up to your own standard. But even that, when we don't live up to our own standard, much less God's, it still separates us from God, it separates us from others, and it separates us from ourselves. And it breaks our peace, which undermines our happiness. And so it's important to understand this and address it because anything that undermines your happiness deserves your attention. So I want to read you a little bit out of one of these letters that Paul wrote, and he wrote it to a group of people who were known as Colossians because they lived in a little town called Colossae. And in the beginning of the letter, what we call chapter one, he didn't chapter and verse them, but what we call chapter one, here's what he writes early on in this letter, starting in verse 13. For he, he's talking about God here, for he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Let me just pause right here because this is not terminology that we use very often. But a dominion is a territory. A dominion, what he's addressing when he's talking about dominion of darkness or territory of darkness, he's talking about this big macro idea of sin or a sin nature that brings us into conflict with God. And he says, for God rescued us from that sin nature, from this big macro concept of sin, from the dominion of darkness, and he brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. Now, why in the world would God do that? Because he knew that sin, in a macro sense, in a big sense, sin creates conflict between us and himself. Maybe the best way to explain this is to, to think about what it's like to be born into a nation. Okay, for most of us, for the vast majority of us, you were, you were born into the nation of America. You, you were born an American. You did nothing to deserve it. I did nothing to deserve it. We didn't have any say in it. We didn't have any control over it. It just happened, right? Our parents were in America. We were born in America. 
We became American citizens. If you were born in another country, that was true for you in your country. We were just born American. And with that birth, with that citizenship, come some benefits and some consequences. Now, just think about this. Again, as Americans, we take this for granted. But there are a whole lot of benefits that come that you get to experience simply because you were born in America. For instance, you have educational advantages that a lot of other people in the world don't have simply because you were born here. You're an American citizen. You have economic advantages a lot of other people don't have because you're an American citizen. We have entertainment advantages. We go on and on. There's so many advantages or benefits that we have. And we didn't do anything to deserve it. We were just born here, and so we get to reap the benefits of it. In the same way, there are some consequences we have to deal with because we are Americans that people who are born into other countries don't have to deal with. And you, did do, you didn't do anything to bring this on yourself, but you were born an American, and these consequences just come with it. I'll give you a, a couple of examples. Here's, here's the most obvious one. Um, because you were born an American... In all probability, the vast majority of us, we speak one language, one language. Now, if you've ever traveled internationally, it it blows me away. Every time I travel internationally, I feel like an idiot because I go into these other countries and you don't meet anybody in any other country that doesn't speak at least two languages, maybe three, sometimes four or five. They speak so many different languages. And meanwhile, I'm, you know, looking at myself going, I was born in Hickman County. I, I barely speak English fluently. So... You know, it's just like, it's just a thing about Americans, though, isn't it? We just speak one language. That's primarily all we learn. A few of you have learned a second one. But for, it's, not, it's not like part of life here. You're born an American, you speak English, and that's it. We, we're so cocky, we think the rest of the world all speak English, too, don't we? So, so it, it's just how it is. You go to another place, well, it's not like that at all. You know, they're just going to be, you know, bilingual or multilingual. They don't think anything of it. It's just a consequence of being... American of being born into this country. Here's another one. There's some benefits to being born American when you travel internationally. You will go into certain countries or certain parts of the world and you will get preferred status because you're an American. You did nothing to deserve it. It's simply because you're a citizen of this country. You were born in here. Again, you had no control over it, but you're going to get preferred status because you're an American. I will never forget. I will never forget. When I was 16 years old, my dad took me with him on a mission trip to Brazil, and it wasn't like Rio. We stopped in Rio, but we were out in the, you know, not in the Amazon, but we were in a really small town, and it wasn't, you know, they didn't have plumbing, and there's a lot of stuff they didn't have. So it was a very rural, very poor area. And I'm telling you, when we walked into this little place, the very first thing they ask is, are you American? And when they realized we were American, they went crazy excited crazy excited. I had people coming up to me asking me for my autograph. They literally won my autograph because I was American. I told my dad, I think it's because they think I'm Tom Cruise. He said, no, 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 no. They think you're Forrest Gump. There's a big difference. (laughs) It probably was the Forrest Gump thing. I sound a lot like him. So you, you know, there, you go to some places and it's like, you get preferred status, you're a celebrity, you know, it's again, you did nothing to deserve it. You're just an American. But there are other parts of the world that if we walk into as Americans, there's a consequence we do not deserve. There is a bullseye on our back, and they will try to kill us if they possibly can. Again, you have no control over either one. You didn't deserve the benefit. You don't deserve the consequence. It just happened because you were born into this country. Well, the same thing is true spiritually. What Paul is addressing here when he talks about this idea of being rescued from the dominion of darkness, he's talking about the fact that when all of us were born into humanity, we were also born into what you might call sin nation. 
And being born into sin nation simply means this. Because Adam and Eve, the first humans, Scripture says, chose to rebel and sin against God. It marred, it defaced, it deformed. It changed how God designed everything to operate, including the nature of all of us who are humans. And suddenly, instead of having a nature that was a perfect reflection of the nature of God, we now had a nature that was marred by sin. And every one of us were born into this world, we get that. It's part of it. We didn't do anything to deserve it. We didn't do anything to create it, but it's just part of being a human now. You have a sin nature. Now, there are also some benefits of being born into humanity. We get to be made in the image of God. That's a huge benefit. We get to enjoy the creation he made for us. We get to know we have a heavenly father who loves us and wants a relationship with us. There are a lot of benefits we could talk about, but there are some consequences because of that first choice by Adam and Eve to sin. We all have a sin nature. We are all part on a macro level of sin nature, which is why we were all born into the dominion or the territory of darkness, the dominion or territory of sin. It's why God had to come and rescue us. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, whoa, whoa, this is my whole problem because that's not fair. That's not fair. How could a God just, you know, one person screwed up and then he just condemns everybody and we all have to deal with the consequences? It's not fair. Well, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. But neither is it fair for you to enjoy all the benefits of being an American. But you enjoy them. And even though it may not be fair that you're born into sin nation, God didn't look at you and say, well, tough luck now. Paul says he showed up, he showed up, and he rescued us from sin nation and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. But he wasn't done. Paul goes on, he says this, verse 14, in whom, in whom, he's talking about Jesus. In Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of, now look at this word, sins. Now this is plural, sins. So Paul says at a macro level, your sin or your sin nature, it creates conflict between you and God. But your sins, my sins, they create conflict too. And while you may not think it's fair that you're born with a sin nature, you cannot argue your way around the fact that you have chosen just like I have personally to make decisions, to make choices, to engage in behaviors that are sins. They do not measure up to the standard of the nature and the character of God. Let's be honest. They don't even measure up to our own standards of who we want to be. And because of that, we're also in conflict with God, and there's nobody to blame for any of that but ourselves. Now, again, the best way to think about this is to think about it in terms of a family, okay? Do you remember, just think back to when you were a teenager, some of you are teenagers now, but the rest of you, some of you have to think back a long way, but, you know, go back there. When you were a teenager, think about what happened when you did something that your dad had told you not to do. Did that impact the family every time, didn't it? When you did something you weren't supposed to do, it had an impact on your relationship with your dad but it also had an impact on your relationship with every other person in the family and it had an impact on how you viewed yourself. Case in point, if your dad told you to be home at midnight and you rolled in about 1 a.m., it not only impacted you and your dad, but the rest of your siblings suffered mightily for your rebellion, didn't they? All of a sudden, it was like, all right, I'm moving it back to 11 o'clock for everybody. You know, it, like I'm, it, it impacted the dynamics in the entire Family. Now, once you were at peace with your dad, you became at peace with everybody else as well. This is what Paul's getting at. He's saying your personal choices and my personal choices not to live up to the standard of the nature and character of God, 
our personal choices to sin, they impact or affect our peace with God. But they also impact or affect our ability to be at peace with others and at peace with ourselves. And I don't have to convince you of that because you and I could sit here all day and give examples of things we've said, behaviors we've engaged in, thoughts we've had, and they didn't just impact us and God. They impacted our relationship with everybody that we cared about. So Paul says, here's what you got to know. Not only did Jesus come to deal with macro level, your sin or your sin nature, but he came and he brought redemption or he brought forgiveness for your individual sins and my individual sins that impact or break our peace, which undermines our very happiness. He goes on. Here's what he says next. For God, verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. He's talking about Jesus. Now, all this means, this is kind of a fancy way of saying, God chose to send Jesus to this earth to be a tangible, a very tangible image of an invisible God. Now, just imagine for a second you were God. Imagine the dilemma he has. Like he creates you to be in a relationship with you and he wants you to love him and he loves you. The problem is you can't see him. You can't see him. So how does an invisible God communicate and prove his love to very visible people? Well, the easiest thing for him to do was to become visible. That's why he sent Jesus. Jesus was God in a human body. He said, I will be a very tangible expression or image of my invisible self. So God, he says, was pleased to have all of God's fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile, to, to reconcile just means to take two things out of agreement or two things not at peace or two things that don't add up or equal and bring them into agreement, bring them into alignment. He said, Jesus, through Jesus, I want to reconcile to myself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by, and here's our terminology, by making peace. This was God's goal. This was God's design. This is why Jesus came, to make peace. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, this is, this is key, and here's why. When Jesus died on the cross, he addressed both of the big problems we have. He addressed our sin, macro, our sin nature. He addressed the fact that we were citizens of sin nation, and he also addressed our individual specific sins. When he died on the cross and rose again, the first thing he did was he broke the power of our sin nature over us. That just means this. Because you and I are born with a sin nature. There are some things we just can't keep from doing. There are some sins we just can't stop committing. There are some choices we just keep making over and over again. Paul talked about this one time. He said, the very things I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I do want to do, I never seem to be able to do. What is going on in me? He said, well, it's, it's my sin nature. That's the problem. We can all relate to that, can't we? There are things you want to be able to do that you can't do, and there are other things you don't want to do, and you keep doing it, and you can't figure out why you keep doing it. You get so frustrated. And eventually, we just say it this way. We don't say that's my sin nature. We just say, I guess this is just who I am. I guess I won't be able to change. When Jesus died and rose again, he broke the power of our sin nature over us, which means no longer is that our identity. No longer is that just the way we are, and I guess I can't help myself. Now... We have the power through him to say no to those desires and yes to what really makes us happy. But the other thing he did is he handled the penalty of our individual sins. The penalty of our individual sins was created because of the debt that we owe God. There's a debt-debtor relationship. And because of that relationship, 
that was out of balance, God's demand for justice required somebody pay for what we had done. And Jesus said, I will step in and I will pay for that. So he handled both the power and the penalty of our sin nature and of our individual sins. Why? Paul told us. So we could be at peace so he could make peace between us and God. So we would no longer be in conflict with our heavenly father. So here's what Paul's teaching us. If I could summarize it all. Paul's teaching us this first. That peace with God begins with faith in Jesus. This is where it all starts. If you want to be at peace with God, well, the first step is to put your faith in Jesus. Now, when we use the term faith, the thing that's, um, that's terrible about this is as churches, we've taken this word faith and we may have to mean a whole lot of things it doesn't really mean. This is not a religious term. This is a very simple everyday life term. You know what it means to put faith in something because you do it all the time. You did it when you walked in here. You sat down in these seats and you had faith in the fact that that chair was going to hold you up. If you hadn't have, you wouldn't have sat down. That's all it means to put your faith in Jesus. It just means I'm going to rest my full faith, hope, confidence, my trust completely in him. I'm going to sit down and trust in him to hold me up and nothing, nothing else and nothing more. Now, let me see if I can visualize it this way. In essence, when God looks down at all of us as humans, here is what he sees. He sees all of us over here in sin nation. This is where we live. He's over here in, the, in his kingdom. So there's a, there's a citizen or a nation or a kingdom of darkness, and there's a citizenship or a nation or a kingdom of light. And there is a separation between the two that's been created because of our sin. And the whole point of Jesus showing up was simply this. He decided he was going to bridge the gap. That was it. He was going to be a bridge that enabled us to leave sin nation and enter the kingdom of God. To leave sin nation and enter the nation of God. And it's as simple as walking across the bridge provided by him. Walking across the bridge of his death and his resurrection. And the minute we choose to trust in him enough... To walk across the bridge is the moment we get to change our citizenship. No longer are we a citizen of this nation anymore. But the way you get over there is Jesus. And the reason he's the only way you can get over there is because he's the only one who met all the requirements to be the bridge. He's the only one who lived a sinless life. He's the only one who died a death on our behalf. And he's the only one who conquered sin and conquered death and rose again. If there were any other bridge that would get us over there, he would not have had to die. He did it simply to make a way for us to be at peace with, to join God, to change our citizenship from here to here. So peace with God begins with putting our faith or our trust in Jesus, walking across the bridge and choosing to be a citizen of a different and a better nation. Now, that addresses the first step. But there's a second piece of this because there are some of us, or actually probably a lot of us, who are followers of Jesus who have put our faith and our trust in him, but we're still not entirely at peace with God. And that's because there's another step you have to take. Not another step to be a part of, his, of God's kingdom, not another step to be a part of his family, but another step in the sense of staying at peace with God requires us continuing to put our trust in Jesus. Staying at peace with God in the sense of what it's like to be part of a family. Let me see if I can explain it this way. 
Peace with God is maintained through alignment with Jesus. So peace with God begins. You become a part of God's family when you put your faith in Jesus. But you keep peace in the family as you maintain your alignment with Jesus. Again, just go back to thinking about your family, okay? You were born into a family, and no matter what you do, you can change your last name, you can revoke your, you know, your sonship or whatever you want to revoke. It doesn't matter. The reality is when you're born into a family, you're always a part of that family no matter what. That doesn't mean that you're always at peace with everyone in that family though, right? There were times, even though you were a part of your family, that you and your dad were not at peace. And when you were not at peace, it didn't mean if you were in a healthy family, it didn't mean that your dad didn't still love you unconditionally and accept you unconditionally. And it didn't mean he wasn't still proud to be your father. But what it meant was, in that moment, you had made some behaviors and some choices that were out of line with the values of your family. They were out of line with the values that your mom or your dad or both of them had said, you know what, this is how we do this as a family, and this is what matters to us, and this is how we behave, and this is how we treat one another. And whenever you violated those values, whenever you got out of alignment with the values of your family, it broke peace. Didn't make you, didn't, you know, make you not a part of the family. Didn't mean that you weren't loved unconditionally. But it impacted your relationship. And for a lot of us who are Christians, this is what happens. We begin following Jesus. We put our faith and our trust in him. But over time, we run into areas of our life where we don't want to continue to follow. We don't want to continue to obey. We don't want to continue to trust. And when we make those choices not to follow or live by his values, it creates or breaks some peace. It creates some conflict in our relationship with God. He's still our heavenly father. We're still his child. No, that's changing. His love for us isn't changing. He'll still forgive us. But we're not in alignment with him. And the only way you maintain peace with God day in and day out is to live by his values and continue to follow him. Now, that brings up one other thing. What about being at peace with ourselves? And how does this impact our peace with us? Because, because the reality is, for a lot of us, there are things in our past that rob us of our peace today. For some of us, there are present choices we are making that are robbing us of our peace today and for our future. So what do you do when you can't be at peace with yourself? What do you do when you hear this idea of, okay, well, I can be at peace with God and God loves me and God forgives me and God's handled, you know, sin, sin nature, and God's handled my sins and there's forgiveness, but I'm not at peace with me. Well, Paul addresses that. Look at what he says next. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. That just means you thought the wrong way. You didn't think like God thought, so you didn't act like God wanted you to act. Verse 22, but now, this is important. Paul's saying, I'm about to give you some new information. I'm about to tell you that there's a new way. I'm about to explain to you something that's going to help you tremendously. But now, he that is God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, notice this, without blemish and free from accusation. Now, here's why this is important. When you put your faith in Jesus, an exchange takes place. You don't think of it this way, but this is what happens. Jesus takes all of your sin, your sin nature. He takes it all on himself. And he gives you in return his righteousness, which is a fancy way of saying the fact that he's perfect. The fact that he's sinless. The fact that he is without blemish, free from accusation, and holy 
which just means he thinks and behaves like God. When you put your faith in Jesus, he trades you your sinfulness, your mess, for his righteousness, for his perfection. That means that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for all your sins, and your heavenly Father provides forgiveness for all your sins. Now just think about this. When Jesus died on the cross, how many sins had you committed at that point? None. You didn't even exist. Neither did I. So when he died on the cross, he looked ahead and he knew every sin you were ever going to commit throughout your entire life, and he still found it worth dying to pay the penalty for all those sins. That means the past sins that wrecked your marriage, the past sins that wrecked your marriage is, the past sins that caused a conflict between you and your kids where you haven't spoken, the past sins that caused you to feel so insecure, the past sins that caused you to feel so unworthy, the past sins that caused you to feel so unloved, the past sins and behaviors that have shown up in your life, the past sins and behaviors that you try to hide your best because you're afraid if anybody ever finds out about that, they'll never think of me the same way again. Every one of those past sins that are regrets from your past or issues in your present, Jesus died for all of them. And your heavenly father provides forgiveness for all of them, which simply means this. If your heavenly father is willing to forgive you for everything you have done, if your heavenly father is willing to accept you in spite of everything you have done, if your heavenly father loves you regardless of what you've done, then what right do you have or do I have not to forgive ourselves, accept ourselves, and love ourselves? If your heavenly father forgives you, who are you to say, I can't forgive myself for that? If your heavenly father loves you, who are you to say, nah, I can't, I can't ever love myself again? You have no right because one who is greater than you values you that much. And if he's willing to do that, then you've got all the freedom in the world to do that yourself. This is why peace with God enables us to be at peace with others and at peace with ourselves. The reason peace with God lets you be at peace with you is because he forgives and loves you unconditionally, which gives you the freedom and the permission to do the same. So whatever that thing is you hold on to that creates so much insecurity, whatever that thing is from your past that you're so ashamed of and you're afraid of people find out, they'll judge me and they'll think less and on and they'll, you know, whatever that thing is you keep beating yourself up over, you don't have to do that. If you're forgiven by God, you can forgive you too. It really is that simple. So let's review. And let me give you a couple questions to ask yourself. First of all, peace with God begins with faith in Jesus. Peace with God begins by putting your trust in him, walking across the bridge he provided in his death and resurrection. So here's the first question I want to ask you. Have you made peace with God? Because it's step one. Have you made peace with God? In other words, has there ever been a point in your life where you said, okay, I think I believe in God, and you kind of, you know, okay, I'm checking this out, but has there ever been a point where you came to the decision on your own? I'm going to walk across the bridge. In other words, okay, I'm going to stop trying to do enough good things to work my way into God's favor. I'm going to stop trying to make up for everything I messed up. I'm just going to trust in what Jesus did 
to make me a part of God's family, to make me at peace with God, and to forgive me for my sins. You, if you've never done that, you're not going to be at peace with God until you do that. Jesus has already done everything you have to do. Literally, all you have to do to be at peace with God, all any of us have to do, is just accept the offer he's making us. Accept the gift. Embrace the peace that comes through Jesus. It's that simple. Some of you, you've been checking this out, and today is the day when you just need to you say, okay, I'm going in. I, don't, I still have questions, but I'm going to do it. You just you need to quit kicking tires. You need to quit you know, waiting around procrastinating. You just need to make peace with God. Some of you have a lot of questions. You have a lot of questions. you got a lot of doubts. Like you're on, still on the front end of figuring this out. And I get that. And today wouldn't be a day. you got so many things you don't understand. Today wouldn't be a day for you to take that step necessarily. But here's what we believe around here. We believe that your curiosity deserves a conversation, and we believe your questions deserve a conversation. So here's what I want to invite you to do. There's an environment we've created that's called Starting Point that on next Sunday, in between the two services, we're going to just have an orientation where you can learn more about this. What this is is an eight-week group that meets on Sunday mornings during a service and is simply a conversation. That's all it is. It's a conversation around your curiosity and around your questions. It is one of the fa- my favorite things that we do because you can say whatever you want. You can ask whatever you want. Nobody's trying to convince you that, you know, we're right and you're wrong. It's just a conversation because your questions, your curiosity, it deserves that. And so if you're not ready to take the step to begin following Jesus, but you're willing to explore it, what an intellectually honest thing to do. If you're willing to explore it, if you'll just text starting point, you can pull out your phone right now and do it. If you just text starting point to that number, they'll send you all the info about where we're going to be. It's going to be here in this building. They'll tell you everything you need to know. And you can just go next week and check it out. No commitment. You can just go for the orientation for about 15 minutes. You can learn about it. You can ask questions and decide if you want to do it. But that would be a great step for some of you. Now, the second thing we talked about, and this is for those of us who do follow Jesus. Next slide. Is that peace with God is maintained through alignment with Jesus? So if you're a Christian, here's the question I want to ask you. Are you at peace with God? Now, don't just rush by this one and say, yeah, 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 I am. No, no. Like, seriously, are you, are you completely at peace with God? Or is there some area or maybe a few areas of your life where you don't really trust what he says is best and you're not living by his values, you're not in alignment with what he says, you just try to ignore that and you're doing your own thing. Maybe it's somebody you refuse to forgive. Maybe it's how you manage your money. Maybe it's your marriage or your dating relationships. Maybe it's some of the choices you're making sexually. Maybe it's, you know, the level of honesty or dishonesty that you have in your business dealings. Maybe it's some secrets that you know you need to come clean with somebody and you haven't come clean. Are you at peace with God? Isn't it funny? Just think about this. Isn't it funny that all of us have a tendency to fight being at peace with God? What is it in us that does that? Because it doesn't make any sense, but we all do it. We all tend to fight being at peace with our Heavenly Father. But what is worth missing out on peace with God. There is no thing. There is no pleasure. There's no possession. There's no belief. There's no person. It's really worth missing having peace with your heavenly father. Because when you're at peace with God, 
you can be at peace with yourself. When you're at peace with God, it's easier to make peace with others. And that is what makes you happy. So have you made peace with God? Are you at peace with God? If not, why not? And are you willing to do what you need to do to be at peace? Would you bow your heads? I don't know where this lands with you. It probably lands somewhere different with all of us. But as we wrap up, would you take a moment just to reflect on those two questions on where you're at? Whether you made peace with God, whether you're currently at peace with God. If you're somebody who's not a Christian and you have so many doubts and so many questions, the next step for you is just to keep exploring. And so I would encourage you to pull out your phone right now, to text this number on the TV, and just to go to starting point orientation, just to start figuring out, just to explore what it would be like to have a conversation about some of your questions and doubts. Some of you, you've been checking this out for a while, and today is a day where you're like, I'm, I'm ready to cross that bridge. I want to change my citizenship from sin nation to being a part of God's family. And you can do that right where you are, and there are no magic words. You can just tell God in your own heart and in your own way, I'm ready to embrace what Jesus did for me. I'm ready to embrace the forgiveness he offers. I want to be a part of your family. I'm going to trust in him to make me at peace with you. For those of us who are Christians, where is the area that's creating conflict between you and God simply because you won't trust and you won't follow, you won't obey? Are you willing to surrender that to him? Father, would you give us the wisdom to know what to do with this and give us the courage to do it, even though it's often so hard. But it's worth it because it really is what makes us happy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.